0: Oh,
1: Hello and welcome to the if we knew then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks
0: and I'm Lori Socks. Today we are joined again by Chris Nickick and his parents Nick and Patty talking about their approach of training body and mind to overcome obstacles one percent at a time.
1: In our first episode with the Nickicks we discussed how people with Down syndrome can do more things than ever if given the tools Given the time, we talked about repetition and how important that is for learning. We also talked a lot about Chris's accomplishment of finishing a half Ironman, which he's the first person with Down syndrome to ever complete an, a half Ironman. We'll talk more about that today. We'll also talk about his attempt of completing a full Ironman, a 140.6 mile race, a truly amazing feat for any athlete. Chris, Nick, Patty, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast again.
2: Oh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure.
0: Nick, you were telling us how Chris trained for the Ironman and your 1% philosophy. We had some questions more specifically on how Chris learned how to ride a bike.
2: Yeah, so he went to a bike camp. We had these learn how to ride bike camps. And so he started to learn, but that was just a week of in camp trying to learn how to ride a bike with all kinds of accessories. And then the next six months, Patty and I uh, alternated holding the bike while he learned how to ride and literally took six months of on again, off again effort for him to finally learn how to ride a bike on his own without falling.
0: Nick, can you go in to a little bit? Of that process, because I know, you know, a lot of times we get questions and people want to know, when is my child going to walk? When are they going to run? When are they going to be able to do these things? Riding a bike is something that can be such a daunting challenge. And it's scary because you fall off your bike. Can you tell us about your experience and how you taught him to ride a bike to give people a little bit to, to build on?
2: Sure. For, for, for someone with special needs, their biggest challenge is the bike because of the balance, the reaction time the strength the muscle tone and so you have to build it a little bit at a time because it is the most complex thing to learn so when you think about it riding a bike is repeated adjustment through your brain in order to stay upright so you need the brain needs to react fast but but the the, the legs and the muscles have to be strong enough to maintain it so it's something that you just have to be patient with, uh, you know, knowing what we know now. If your son, who's 10, wanted to ride a bike, he he could be riding a bike on his own within six months or less. And once he gets it, like once Chris got it and then he started to train more, he went from just barely riding a bike to being able now to ride a bike 27, 28 miles an hour and sustain speeds of 20 miles an hour pretty consistently. And he can ride hundreds and hundreds of miles, you know, without ever falling. So early on, you have to be patient. That is the most complex thing that your son is going to learn is riding a bike. And so you have to start with some basics to build up their strength and their comfort. So start with some training wheels, but then start by holding them, meaning get rid of the training wheels and and just get one of those extended handles behind them and just walk by their side and let them ride the bike while you're holding them upright. So they're focused on the, the joy of riding the bike and getting used to the environment until their subconscious mind gets comfortable with what's going on. And it's kind of like artificial intelligence. What you're doing with with a child with Down syndrome is you're programming their subconscious mind because it's 10 times more powerful than a conscious mind. And that only happens through repetition. So if you're willing to be patient enough to get them through that learning curve, then eventually they won't need you anymore. They'll be self-sufficient in just about everything. And that's the the vehicle, the, the method by which you can do it. So you have to be really patient. Most people think they can't ride a bike, so they never really go through that routine and
1: help them achieve it. Yeah, they'll give, they'll give up.
0: I absolutely love that your approach to Chris and to teaching him has been just to go beyond. And again, it's a, to me it's such a metaphor of going beyond the challenges that were presented and the inaccurate perceptions that were given about our children. You know, you're going beyond that first layer And just to reprogram that other level of consciousness, I love that that's your approach because I I, I would love to reprogram the subconscious of society. But in a way, I think that that's what you're doing because by accessing and by Chris accessing his potential that I think that does reprogram. One thing I always tell parents is no matter what happens out there and what people present you with, whether it be in the grocery store or at an IEP meeting or at a doctor's office with an opinion, that we do have such an impact on our children and what they believe about themselves. And I love that that's something that you incorporate with Chris is that you understand that your impact, no matter what the rest of the world says, your impact is greater.
2: Yeah. So, you know, there's only so much we can do to change society, but there's everything we can do to change ourselves. And and we're all going to be uh, faced with different challenges and issues. It's how we respond to those challenges and issues that make or break us. And so what we're trying to teach Chris uh, is that we are taking personal responsibility. We as parents and then we want him to take personal responsibility for himself because it's his life. He wants to be independent. He wants his own family. And so he has to take responsibility for that. He has to be willing to fight fight through the fake pain. He's got to be willing to go train hard when he doesn't want to. Right? The easiest thing in life is to sit on the couch and play video games. But video games and sitting on the couch gets you nothing but average. And so Chris has learned that average is not acceptable in our home and that it's his responsibility to change that. And so we as parents can set that path for our kids. And no matter what else is going on around us and, and around them, if we teach them correctly and we help them and we, we help them bridge that gap, uh, as you have seen in the last, if you've seen Chris progress the last two years, he's gone from average to you know what's going on now and the kind of attention he's getting and the impact he's having. And the only thing that changed in all of that is Chris and the way we work with Chris. The rest of society didn't change. His school didn't change. His coaches, nobody else changed. And the result is is the result of the decision between Patty and I and Chris to do things differently and take personal responsibility.
1: Patty, do you mind chiming in there and just maybe adding how you feel about this experience the past few years?
3: Well, I think it's exciting. You know, Chris has matured a lot. You'll see your son go through all the stages of teenage and, and on. and. And Chris is a hard worker, and I think most of our kids are hard workers. I mean, he's, he's had to work harder than, you know, a lot of the other kids on a daily basis with his speech practice at home, with his physical. I mean, we had OTPT, you know, speech and language and oral motor challenges, and he's overcome, you know, many of the day-to-day things. For communication, and we're still working on it. We try to, you know, keep him balanced as much as we can with, you know, uh, his training for doing the Ironmans.
0: I know earlier, uh, Nick, you had talked about Pat, uh, that Patty had stayed home and taking care of all of the therapies that you had just mentioned. Patty, did you did you do the therapies or just to support while he was receiving the therapies?
3: I would sit in on the therapies with the therapist, you know, and learn their techniques, see what we were working on at the present time, and then take that and continue with whatever we were trying to achieve at the time. You know, at one time, we had Chris in 12 therapies a week. That was a lot of therapy for a few years, you know. But I just thought, I'm going to throw everything up there that I can to have this guy succeed. And, um, you know, we'd have flow charts and, and check off things that, you know, we would learn how to match socks or we would learn, you know, different cognitive skills. And he had behavior therapists as well. You know, so, gosh, he's come a long way. Chris always wasn't where he is today, of course. He had a lot of struggles. We just tried to always, or I tried to put fun into all of the various therapies that we would do every day and at, you know, at home as well. And Chris loves music. And so I would do a lot of things to music and try to make it fun.
2: So on continuation on that whole therapy concept, we say the best therapy Chris has ever had is training for Ironman and training to do a public speaking engagement. You know, training for an Ironman is therapy because he has to learn different skills and drills between swimming, strength, running, and biking. Uh, and so it's the preparing for a triathlon and Ironman that makes him do the drills much more than he ever would when he was just doing therapy. Therapy was for therapy. But now everything he's doing is is actually better therapy, but he's not doing therapy anymore. He's actually training for an Ironman. Uh, if you watch the hundreds of little skills that Chris has had to learn, right, from holding a handlebar, to turning, to, to changing gears on a bike, to using brakes, to how, to how to turn his arms and breathing when he's swimming, everything. But the difference is, because he has to train for an Ironman, he's got to do everything hundreds and hundreds of times. And that's been the difference between traditional therapy and training for an Ironman. And same thing for doing public speaking. Training to do a speech is much better speech therapy than actually taking speech therapy because he's, he's delivering a very cohesive uh, speech, and it does a couple of things. One is it forces him to learn the message and deliver it and make it subconscious, but it also forces him to focus on pronouncing the words and making it all come together. But then it's also something Patty's always talked about, which is self-talk. One of the most powerful things you can do is self-talk, tell yourself positive things all the time and your brain will believe it. And through that, practicing his speech and learning all that, he, has, he is accomplishing uh, so much more in terms of therapy than he ever did taking therapy.
3: But of course, we needed the therapist at whatever stage we were at, you know, when he was growing up.
1: Yeah, and to learn from them, I, I know it's a it's a it's a great trick to sit in on those therapies and and to learn that basis. But then, as a child becomes a young adult, you can see how the Iron Man and doing speeches. How yeah, then now you have to co- coordinate hundreds of these little therapies into one.
3: Yes,
2: yeah. Turn them into productive things that that he can then turn into conversations, and he can think for himself. And look, we've only just started this process. We're we're two years into it, you know, mostly the last year has been the more intense portion of it. So, in, in you know, the first year was just figuring some things out. The second year was intense. Uh, and so we're excited about the next two or three years, what what he's going to learn at the rate that he's learning. Because we're seeing when we teach him a new exercise or a new drill that might have taken him 100 times or 200 times to practice to get it. Now he's learning it doing it 10 times. So, so we're seeing all kinds of things that are unexpected, and and we can only imagine what the next two or three years are ahead in store for him.
0: Let me ask you, because Patty, you sat in on those initial therapies, and you're learning how to do the therapies. I think also it's at the beginning of learning what Down syndrome is and processing all of those emotions and feelings, and as a parent. But now when you're teaching the training and you're talking about all the lessons, you know, like switching a gear, turning the bike, getting his balance, do you break it down as a lesson or do we just jump on the bike and learn? Like, what is your approach?
2: Well, we break everything down. So that's one of the philosophies of of training. Uh, The typical child can learn things in a group, right? A bunch of things at once. What we do with Chris is we look at something and we break it down into its smallest components. And then we teach him one component at a time in the right sequence. So instead of trying to teach him three things at once, we teach him one thing, and we make him do it 10 or 20 or 30 times until he's learned it. Then we teach him the second and then the third, and then we pull all three together into one motion. You have to break things down into the simplest, most intuitive, easiest to, to execute components, and then build up until you have a sequence of things working together like riding a bike
1: it's a tough thing sometimes to tell parents but it's patience and it's patience throughout
3: oh my gosh my patience that's what chris has taught me over the years is to be a patient mom
2: and where did it go
0: it's still here baby where did it go <laughs> you had mentioned nick the last 2 years you said that you made a dramatic change Um, You're just talking about the approach, like going from special to gifted. Is that what you're talking about there? And then you had also uh, mentioned a learning curve and the change in your approach.
2: Yeah, so the, the whole change in the approach, actually, we lucked into it. I just got more involved in the triathlon with him. And so we just started doing it for fun, something to do together, something to get him in shape we didn't go into this thing with any other intention other than having some fun and getting in shape and doing something together. And it wasn't until we did it more and more. And I started to notice things that I'd never noticed before that I started to put things together and and coming from the, the career I'm in, which, you know, I help sales organizations transform and optimize their performance. And I'm an engineer uh, by education. So I think in terms of breaking things down and measuring things, and seeing the cause and effect between one thing and another so i kind of studied this stuff for a living anyway and i just started measuring and tracking everything with chris and starting to see things and and metrics and data started to show me things that were counter to what people were telling me and and the more i dug in the more i solidified the breaking things into components creating the one percent better philosophy breaking the, the the routines down in a way that he can learn them so you know, there, there's a number of things going on simultaneously, and we're trying to, while we're in the middle of all this, we're trying to document everything so we can go back and put it together into a, a simple blueprint that any parent can follow, that they can work with their kids and say, look, here's the, here's the two or three or four year blueprint. If you want to help your child with Down syndrome from the age of 10 to the age of 15, just do a, a amazing things, but it's got to be kind of done in a in a sequence and in a pattern and in a way that will sustain itself permanently in their lifestyle. And so that's, those are one of the things is is breaking it down into those little components and and being able to see the progress and to your point, being patient, knowing that it's going to take a little bit longer, but once they get there, they're going to get to the same point as everybody else.
1: Well, that was exactly my next question was the blueprint part. And, and so I'm glad you answered that. And, and um, I can't wait till you come up with that and we can, that can be spread. That's a, that would be amazing to tell people. I hear so much of your voice and mine, the way you think. And there are so many times I think earlier in Liam's life that I needed to be shown things to then go further. And I think what your child's generation, hopefully my child's does too, it will show the next generation and show the next generation of parents that let's forget having to be shown this. Let's just go there and then you'll see it and just keep going. And that's what clearing a path is. Yeah.
2: And and, and you're right, right? You know, all of us have uh, much more drive and ability to achieve something if we believe it's possible. And the only way we can believe it's possible is if we see other people doing it. So the hardest is being the first person to do something, right? So we know that what Chris is going through Uh, is is a major, major um, thing going on, right? Because it's never been done. And we don't know. We don't know the the challenges we're going to face between now and November to go from half an Ironman to a full Ironman, right? So the goal is to do it, but we don't know. And so we're going to learn an awful lot along the way. And then hopefully, you know, we'll document that in a way that someone like your son, you know, at least can follow the blueprint. He's still going to have to do the work you're still going to have to dedicate time and and resources to help him. There's no way around that. But at least if he sees that it's been done and he knows that there's a blueprint to getting it done, then it's up to him to decide if he wants to do the same thing or pursue the same blueprint to do something else. So, you know, uh, yesterday we were interviewed by someone else and they said, so Chris, what's after Iron Man, right? And, And after this Iron Man, there's the Hawaii Iron Man next year. And then after that, they said, well, what next? And we said, well, after that, Uh, we think Chris is going to shift gears and move to golf and then spend the next two or three years becoming a scratch golfer. Why? So he can prove, again, that if you follow the blueprint, it doesn't matter what topic you choose. Pick the thing that that you're passionate and and you enjoy and then follow the 1% blueprint and spend two or three or four years at something that you're passionate about and you're going to achieve amazing goals. And so, you know, that's next. And then after he turns 25, the question is, well, what's next after that? Well, I guess we'll see. But you know it's about being an example to others like him and being out there and sharing with them and showing them what's possible so that uh, you know there are thousands and hundreds of thousands of others who can kind of follow in that path and achieve their dreams in life, you know hopefully for self independence and 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 you know pursuing their their dreams whether their physical or intellectual.
1: Well we've seen it over and over again in history, Everest sound barrier, four minute mile. All those unachievable things that once that first person did it, then, bam, the gate was opened.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, Chris did his half Ironman the same week that was the 60th anniversary of Roger Bannister's 4-Minute Mile.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. That just gave me chills.
0: <laughs> so i just like to uh, shift gears a little bit to what your experience has been. Uh, as as parents you know to talk about the birth your diagnosis educations friends and some of the changes that have taken place in the last 20 years
3: I was um, 40 years old when I conceived Chris and so being what was considered an older mom you know I went to various testings and Chris was having some soft signs indicating that he was going to have some differences. We didn't know exactly that he was having Down syndrome. Uh, We didn't want to have an amnio. So I declined that because I didn't want a miscarriage at all. So when he was born, you know, the birth was fine, but his heart rate was dropping. So he was taken right away and checked out. And they realized that Chris had a VSD, which was a single hole in his heart. So he was born, he was five pounds, seven ounces. With his low tone, he had a difficult time nursing. And I didn't know anything about doing any of the exercises on the mouth. Um, what would happen is if he would latch on, you know, he would be okay for a little bit and then he would fatigue. And that was because of his heart. And so he really didn't gain a lot of weight. We would see the cardiologist every two and a half weeks and he was keeping you know an eye on him and finally at five months he was just under 10 pounds so he wasn't thriving at all and they decided to go in and have open heart surgery and do the repair and they found a second hole during the surgery so they repaired both holes and it was like flipping a switch his energy level skyrocketed and he um, had so much more energy, and it was wonderful to see. And within five days of coming home from the hospital, he had his first PT, and we started therapies from there, undoing all the oral motor exercises to help him with his mouth so that he could eat better. And he was, gosh, about five years old, and he was still having soft food. Because he couldn't um,
2: swallow anything. Well, his mouth
3: didn't know what to do with the texture that was, you know, in there, the solids.
2: So he was probably almost three or older before he could even walk without a walker. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, he advanced really, really slowly. As Patty said, he couldn't eat solid foods. He ate baby food all the way till five. And then, but he was an active kid. He he just he, you know he loved to have fun, and uh, he's just what was always delayed at everything, and 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 kind of a fragile little thing.
3: But such a joy.
2: Yeah. And then, um, you know, as we lived in different places, he he would always make some friends. So he'd have he'd always have one friend wherever we lived, which was always a blessing for him. Uh, and he would always be active with with the friend. And then when he um, when he started the school he's graduating from now, he met Sam uh, in the sixth grade, and Sam has been his best friend ever since the sixth grade. You know, he was just here a few hours ago. Sam goes to college; he was the valedictorian of their school. He's a sophomore in college now, but every weekend they get together. They always do things, and um, you, you know, it's just been a you know challenging but also fulfilling time. You know, we've had Chris participate in different sports along the way, uh, soccer, you know, upward basketball, things like that. So we've always had had kept them uh, active, uh, but we just never, we never made that breakthrough, right? Everything was, we had them do just enough to be okay at it, but never break through to get great at it until the last year, year or so, year and a half.
0: And I know it's because you had talked before about changing the word from special to gifted but is that what you would say why you just did enough to
2: yes we did just enough for him to have fun not enough to make a breakthrough and we never understood that the line you know it's kind of like if you're if you're walking in the dark you don't know where you are and, and and when to stop right um and so we never knew that we were always taking him to the 50 yard line and then we would stop and so what we've learned by treating him as gifted is we would push him like we pushed our daughter beyond that point. And then all of a sudden, when we realized that there was a there was a point when he would make a major breakthrough, that's when the light bulbs went off. And that's when we said from now on, anything we want him to do, we can treat it as either something he's going to do for fun or we're going to treat it as something he's going to be successful at and make a breakthrough. And and depending on how we treat it, if it's just for fun, we'll just go do it one way. If it's to make a breakthrough, then we know we got to work two or three times as hard until we make the breakthrough, and then it's a permanent part of him.
1: Well, it's amazing to think of that young, inefficient, technically leaky heart that was, was wearing him down and then to have a correction and to work hard like he's working now and to see what that heart's doing for him now because that's a pure physical organ that is working so efficiently now. It's, it's beautiful.
2: It really is. It's a
0: blessing. And look at him now. He's five foot eight,
2: 170 pounds, solid as a rock.
0: I think that part of the story, those challenges of having the open, because the physical or the medical conditions that they present, you know, new moms with are, those can be the most intimidating and bring the most fear to new parents. But what you did is you had that. He had his surgeries, and now here he is running the Ironman. I can't think of anything that would bring more comfort to a parent than to know that possibility. What did you know about Down syndrome when Chris was born?
3: Well, I as a child had a family, my my grandmother's uh, best friend had a son with Down syndrome. And I remember she would speak to him in such a harsh tone and as a five-year-old I said to myself you know what if he was my son I would be nice to him (laughs) and when Chris was born I said okay thank you God mommy nice to you don't shake your head she's tough
2: on you isn't she I never I didn't know anything about Down syndrome so when the doctor said your son has Down syndrome I, I was I was just devastated but I didn't know why but the perception was there was something drastically wrong with that. I didn't know what. And so it took a week or two for it to settle in before we started to you know, calm down and started doing research and trying to figure out what, what was going on and then be able to kind of go from there. But it was uh, it, it was like somebody hit you with a two by four and, and not knowing what where it came from or how.
0: What kind of answers were out there when you did your research about Down syndrome 20 years ago?
2: So, if you asked me this question two years ago, um, you know, everything we researched, I would have said, well, it's interesting information and we try to act on it. And there's some good information out there. But based on what we've learned the last two years, uh, we feel the most important thing that we needed to know about Down syndrome didn't exist. And if it did, we didn't find it. We didn't see it, we didn't hear it, we didn't read it anywhere. And so we, our behavior, it's not like we didn't look for it and read everything and, and went to everything, but we just didn't either hear it or we didn't see it or it just didn't exist. And so what we've learned the last two years it has been self-learned through just watching Chris. Uh, and everything we read and learned was limiting, right? Everything was about what, in one way or another, was about what he can't do, and what his limitations are and, and then kind of how to do the basic therapies and things to help them live within those limitations. What I really wanted to know and what I know now is that how do we shatter those limitations and how do we get them beyond what we think, where we think they are, even like what I said earlier about how they learn differently, how they develop differently, how they need things broken down differently. So I think part of, part of the, the the lessons learned here and what I'd love to be able to share with the rest of the community is that maybe we all start thinking about uh, whether it's within the existing school system or, or some other way to create an environment that aligns better to their way of learning. So we have to think about how our kids learn to be able to achieve their maximum potential. Now, the, the benefit of an inclusive environment, which is what Chris has with Iron Man, is that it's more fun, he feels he's part of something. He'll compete a lot harder being in an inclusive environment. So I, I'm in no way suggesting that we, uh, we don't create inclusive environments. But what I'm saying is I think there's a blend there, an inclusive environment with a little bit of a different learning style. And, and part of my idea on that is that we create an environment where a typical child acts more like a buddy or, or kind of a teacher and, some, and a helper where someone say with Down syndrome and a typical child are working out together and they both learn and benefit from that. One learns and benefits by teaching and helping and being inspired and the other benefits because you apply the learning style that, that works for them. So honestly, I don't know what the answers are. I just know a lot of the answers out there are not comprehensive enough to allow our children to, to flourish to their fullest ability.
0: So you're, you're saying what you needed to to find that you didn't find was that we can shatter the limitations instead of present the limitations.
2: That's right. Because everything seems to be presented to work within those limitations. Negatively. negatively. And what we learned is that we need to shatter those limitations and think and break through outside of them.
0: Which I think is what, what you're training and and what this is doing. And I've, I'm really so interested to to see how you compile all your information to create that kind of system and be able to present that to other parents. It, for me, I feel like the, you know, the benefit of the inclusive classroom is absolutely everything that you said that Chris is enjoying. Uh, now, as a 20-year-old, a you know, in the Ironman, he's enjoying that. And I, I feel like that is also the benefit in the school system, it's just it's just getting those supports there because...
1: We've noticed a big difference with the, the virtual learning yeah. or the... What is the it? distance learning. Yeah, is that we're able to take the time with him at home that he needs, that he wouldn't really have that time at school, or he wouldn't get a break if he needed, or, or what have you. They would just say, okay, time's up, let's go on to the next thing. But also being in that environment at school is beneficial too because he has these great peers to model as well no not uh, we, we all no. we've been in the classroom we know that we don't want them to model everything but but you know you know what i what i'm saying
2: no, no, you're right. It, it,
0: you need both. Uh, you know, it's funny because one thing that we did notice because, you know, we get a lot of pushback when we go in to get an inclusive classroom. We've gotten a lot of pushback. And, you know, just to keep him on curriculum and to keep a responsibility there for educating Liam, we've we've we always experienced resistance in that. But we we've persevered in keeping him in the classroom on curriculum. And but he's always he always gets grief. Honestly, and we—it's such a hard fight. And this last year in third grade, we went in, and for a birthday party, and I will tell you, our son was the best-behaved, most attentive, well-mannered third-grade boy in the whole classroom. And my question was, why does he get so much grief? Why does he have to fight so hard? Because honestly, some of these kids are a bad influence.
1: Well, some sometimes his anything that is is possibly thought of as a negative thing can get magnified so much. And it's also kind of blamed on the diagnosis rather than just, he's a 10 year old boy.
0: Now, let me ask you that Chris, because I feel like sometimes Liam is held to a different, it's a double standard. He's held to a different bar as far as he is. He is personally responsible for everything that he does. He's held highly responsible for that, but then the expectations are low. Is that something you experienced, Chris? And and if so, how do you feel about that?
2: So I first went to girls' elementary school, and I've experienced really hard time because the teachers won't teach me the right stuff. So the principal decided to come on down and say, Nick, can you please go and pick up your son? And how did that make you feel? When my dad came, I saw him, and I ran at him, and I just hugged him. Yep, yeah, hugged me. And how do the other kids treat you? They treat me like special. And yes. I can do
1: anything that's possible, and that's what i do it.
2: So it's interesting. Now Chris has been invited this year to speak in front of thousands of students. He's got like six or eight um, sessions that he's booked where they're having him go to speak to the the student bodies about the 1% philosophy. And they're actually asking us to design a 1% program that they can apply to the student body throughout the year. So things are starting to happen in a way that we never could have imagined.
1: That's so great. great. I can relate to what you were saying, Chris, because we find that society as a whole and family members sometimes, uh, friends, classmates won't hold Liam accountable for things. They, they'll let him get away with so much, and, and I think that can kind of cause sometimes a stubbornness in him, um, and, and he may also be naturally stubborn. At home, we we don't let that fly, but I think it's a detriment to him when he's treated that way, that he's allowed to not push himself, or he's allowed to, well, you know, don't have Liam do that. I mean, he... Like already thinking he can't do it. no, yep. That's that special term.
0: Well, I'll say running, running an Ironman is pretty special. It's pretty special. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe they were right. They were just using it in the, in the wrong context because right. it, it is so special. And I, I will say, I'm sorry that you had to experience that, Chris. Kids can be so mean. And that's one of my biggest fears with Liam is when ev- occasionally at his school, he's lucky because he has an aide with him. So kids don't usually say anything, but every so often I'll be there and I'll, I'll see something that's really not nice. And, and I'm sorry you have to experience that. I will say to every child who had a misperception and every teacher and every administrator that you going back there and you teaching them is, is so beautiful. And it's such a great, Lesson to be able to say that you overcame the wrong perception that people had of you. You overcame that, and you stayed on your course, and now you're able to go back and teach them, which is just so full of life and love and lessons there. And again, just, in, just inspiring. I would love for you to talk to my school, and I would love to have... Your, uh, your program written down that I could follow at home to help support Liam, and to have that program be a part of an inclusive environment to where, you know, Liam can start to and other children can start to shatter these limitations. Is there anything significant that you uh, would like to talk about that have been changes over the last 20 years, whether it be society, acceptance, opportunity, perception, along those lines?
3: Well, I think you know people are seeing advances in our kids, and I think um, the more our kids are doing different activities and, and the inclusion, I think it is helping. I think every every year makes a difference.
2: And I think it'll make even a bigger difference as we as we have more of our kids um, really uh, push through those breakthroughs and be able to to show that they can become more self-sufficient and independent. For me, if it's one thing I would work on with every child with Down syndrome, it would be the physical part. Because what I have found is through the physical part, uh, what happens is the inclusion gets easier because now they can play golf, they can play a sport, they can be part of a group. And I've also noticed that as the physical part gets better and stronger, there seems to be a connection with the mental, intellectual part, and so you can work on the intellectual part. But but it's been my uh, observation and belief that if we can help our kids physically become active, really active, where they can go play around the golf with their friends or go play basketball or just go for a run or a bike, it'll create an a, an environment of inclusion like nothing else that we can do, and it'll develop their muscles, their health. So many of the things we worry about our children will actually become addressed through sports and through uh, physical ability and through inclusion, and then at the same time start to apply the intellectual things on top of that, because uh, I believe the brain is a muscle and you can develop it. Uh, but but the muscle starts to develop because of the physical thing, right? Because the harder you work, the more brain, the more you pump to your brain, and the stronger it gets. I think that's the change that will make life so much more attractive for our kids and help them become more more a part of the community and more included in everything that's going on around them.
1: There's no doubt that there's that connection between physical health and, and mental health. I, I think also when we talk about how the change is coming, I, I always kind of go back to that patience as a parent to understand that when a minority wants to have change happen, they're the smaller voice. You're asking the majority then who is basically unaffected by whatever the issue is to change, to make a change, to maybe come out of a comfort zone that they've been doing for their entire life. So in any aspect of a societal change from a majority having to do it, it's going to be slow. And we just have to know that the way we speed that up is by doing things like you're doing.
2: Yeah, because we can we can affect change the quickest by affecting ourselves and and being the example that people need to see and look chris chris has no problem with inclusion anymore uh we're we're getting inundated with people who want him to be part of their club or part of their organization or part of anything that they've got because he's he's changing perception so much that they want him to be part of that community
0: this may seem a little off topic but uh, did you ever discuss down syndrome with chris
2: Actually, you know, Patty did a little bit, but not really. You you know, we we didn't make it a big deal
0: until recently.
1: You
3: know, the way I explained it to him is that he might be a little slower. It might take him longer to do things, but he can do anything he wants to do.
2: But it was interesting. While a lot of his other friends with Down syndrome would talk about Down syndrome, up until recently, Chris didn't. It just wasn't something we talked about much. But the last two years, we've been doing a lot more of it because it has now turned into a mission now he understands that he has down syndrome and there's others like him and so now we talk about it in terms of how he can make a difference for others like him and and be an example to help them achieve their dreams so it's been more of a recent thing than it was when he was younger
1: that makes sense that's not something that we've touched upon for our 10 year old
0: yeah i don't even think we had the conversation with sophia yeah, me personally,
1: I haven't at all up until the
2: last couple of years with Chris. And Patty, you know, has done more of it, but I just haven't. It's just not something I wanted to talk about. I just kept treating him as uh, as if, you know, anybody else. Although I didn't realize I wasn't really treating him like our daughter, but I thought I was.
0: Right. It's like you wouldn't keep telling uh, Chris, hey, Chris, you have blue eyes. Right. That's actually as far as my approach has been that Down syndrome is a part of who Liam is, but it's not his whole
2: we're,
0: we're the same way. The reason why I asked that question is because I think it's something that parents wonder, like, do I have to have a conversation? Or even with the siblings, because I know with Sophia, I don't think we ever had a conversation about it and until maybe certain things would come up naturally, like going for an IEP or something, and that the question would come up or her friends would ask. And it probably came more from her friends asking her that made her ask what Down syndrome was.
1: And Liam was also a a 10 week preemie. So I think from the beginning, kind of a platform was set of We were caring for Liam, but we were, we were helping him. And then now that they've grown together, we're still helping, but now it's just a natural thing we're we're helping each other as a, as a team, I think.
2: Chris's uh, sister, Jackie is 10 years older. Uh, she was a college athlete, really, really good athlete. Also went to an Ivy league school. What's interesting is she's still a phenomenal athlete now, but we have a, there's a famous saying that that we keep reminding Jackie of when Chris was small, she would say to Patty, remember honey, what she said?
3: When is he going to do something?
2: <laughs> and now she's watching her 20 year old brother, you know, who can outdo her physically, right? And we're Before. saying, Jackie, is he doing enough now? Oh my goodness. I love it. <laughs> Amazing things will happen between the two of them if Liam kind of gets his mind made up to do something like this or or anything that he's passionate about, you'll be amazed that if you will just push him beyond what you think his limits are because they're a lot further than you think they are. Right. If you will push him, you are going to be amazed by what he can do. But more importantly, he is going to be just loving life because, look, I watch Chris now and, and the way he's enjoying life. People say, oh, you're pushing your, hun- your, your son so hard. And I'm saying, look, uh, pushing my son for a couple years to work work out four to five to six hours a day uh, pales by comparison to allowing him to live a life of isolation.
0: Do you have an if you knew then that you'd like to share?
3: Well, if I knew while I was pregnant that Chris was going to have Down syndrome, I think I would have I would have jumped ahead on reading up on how to work with his oral motor which
2: may have helped him a lot. And if I had one thing that I wish I knew, if I knew his learning curve is what it is, I would have changed everything about the way we educated him and the way we raised him. So for instance, is if I wanted him to get physically stronger, instead of having him participate primarily in the various sports he was in and having him practice the same way as everybody else, I would have broken things down into small segments and realized that it's gonna take him 10 times as long to build a foundation. So I would have taught him. I would have taken the time, uh, you know, the patience to get him through the learning curve to build his foundation so that we can keep building on top of it. We kept treating him in terms of his learning the same as everybody else, but he couldn't learn the same way as everybody else. We would actually have adjusted his learning style. And so we would have applied repetition a lot more. So instead of doing something five times, we would do it 500 times. In the first few years, the learning would have been much longer, but then by year four, five, six, seven, it would have accelerated and accelerated. And that's what we've seen with Chris. Uh, The learning curve takes a different approach, but it accelerates rapidly over time if you give it time. Okay. And if people want to follow Chris's journey, we're going to build up more and more content on his website. We're going to try to create a lot of content that they can follow his journey, but also educational things. So we're going to start putting in snippets uh, of things people can benefit from as well. So if you want to point them to his website, that would be awesome.
1: Yes, that's chrisnickick.com, C-H-R-I-S-N-I-K-I-C.com. All his information is there. Recent news on him, the 1% better everyday philosophy, and that blueprint we've been talking about, the 1% better as a strategy for your breakthrough results. We are so thankful we had you for another episode. We appreciate all the work you're doing. We're thinking of you, Chris, during your race. Know that you have fans here in California and all over the world. Patty and Nick, we appreciate you as parents and all your information. Thank you.
2: Well, it was, it was our pleasure, and we love this opportunity
1: to be able to share Chris's experience with everyone.
3: So nice talking to you all. See my
1: heart. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew then Pod,